Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Thank you everybody for coming here tonight on a special edition of Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem. Tonight's year, tonight's program is number 65, and we have a massive program here tonight in the channel with a lot of people. I want to again start every night by saying that it, uh, all the people that come on every every Sunday night, usually, that um, we really appreciate you coming. Okay. And telling people about it and putting your WhatsApp statuses and you know, sharing with family and friends and the uh, Baruch Hashem, the program is growing tremendously. And we're getting huge amounts of feedback from people and uh, it's really making a big difference. As we call it, a Sichas Haverim, and it's really, really growing. Baruch Hashem, for all those people who are watching the replay of this video on YouTube, please click on the like button and click on the Benachem subscribe button so um, everybody can get the new videos as they come out. I want to first start off with thanking all of our advertising sponsors every week that promote us. First on the Lakewood Scoop, for which promoting us here in Lakewood. Special thank you to Rabbi and Yanitsu Chazak for promoting us on all the Chazak platforms. We really appreciate it. And a special thank you to Mrs. Mika Sofer from COL for posting it on COL Live. And a special, special thank you to Chai Lekau from Shmuel Summer for always, always promoting us, especially this program on the JCN Jewish Content Network for always putting on all the digital platforms. Again, for anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday night, me and Coach Menachem have a sheer. Tonight's number 65, a special. But uh, please come here every Sunday night. We have a special, you know, program, Rabbanin, special therapist, and it's been a tremendous program helping really, really thousands and thousands of people. I want to start off first with saying a special thank you to Coach Menachem and to Reb Arnoya Fried. This Sunday was Tisha B'Av. We put together, they put together, had nothing to do with it, a special Tisha B'Av program with a bunch of speakers. It was a smashing success. We had thousands of views. People got tremendous feedback. It was really unbelievable. Um, next Sunday, we have uh, July 25th, we're going to have Rav Gav from Eretz Yisrael. He'll be discussing how to make Judaism real and really giving a boost to ourselves. We need to really get into getting real with ourselves, which will be an amazing program. Please already know about it. Now we have the schuss with having with us with Shlomo Bachner. Shlomo Bachner is worldwide well-known from the, being the founder of Bonoelum. He's a really special person. And we have a lot to talk about tonight. I want to give a special thank you for coming on tonight. If everybody, nobody knows, tonight is this big charity event where he's trying to raise money to really, really help Israel. And he's taking out of his precious time from precious dreams, from priceless dreams, to come here tonight and really answer so many questions we got from all across the board. So I want to give a great shout to Shlomo Bachner for coming here tonight. Let's start off with the opening with Coach Menachem. Coach Menachem, please open it up. Oh, Welcome, everyone, to Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem. Tonight is a special edition, Tuesday night, usually with Sunday night. And for those who are with us, we've done many, many programs, and our mission is to open up certain topics that many times people don't have where to turn to, and we all know that when something lingers in our mind, it lives in our own mind, it can be sometimes very painful not to know where to go, what to do. And tonight's topic, especially, is, is, is a pretty sensitive topic. And it's a very sensitive topic. For those who haven't gone through the struggle, don't really understand. And it's, it's, it's hard to understand what they go through, but when those people struggle with this, the questions that they have, not knowing where to turn, is it a question? Should they talk? Should they shouldn't? 
to who they should talk to, what they should do. Is it a problem? Maybe not. And all of those things going on in their mind can become a real problem. And that was till Boyne Island came along. Boyne Island, not only is it a place that we, you can call them and ask them your questions, whatever it is, and get the support, but they really hold your hand for those who need it from the beginning and through the whole process. And it's, it's hard to imagine, the same way we can't imagine people who go through these things, the same way, you know, when they, when they see the light at the end of the tunnel, when the Zoycha emits Hashem, the Simcha is Einle Shire. And, and, and it goes, it goes the, together, as deep, deep in the journey, as dark as it is, when you're going through, and then when you finally, finally come through another side, and you're able to see some light. That light is the joy, is Mamash Ein Lashai, or something that those who didn't go through can't imagine. And um, tonight we will hear stories. We'll hear from Rabbi Bachner and from other stories so we can grasp a little bit of what's going on. And for those who have any questions tonight, we have this here, Shkoyach, Rabbi Bachner, to be with us tonight so we can ask your questions, whatever it is. And Abrochah for those who need it and for all of us that all of us on our journey, whatever it is, the ups and downs, the dark places, that Hashem should give Koyach to be able to go through and to do what we need to do with the help of others. Shkoyach, Shkoyach. Koyach, Coach Menachem, beautiful opening. So again, tonight we're going to be discussing obviously infertility and all those issues, everything around it. We got a tremendous amount of questions from all over the board, from many different angles. Me and Menachem worked very hard to put together the questions in some type of order. If we, we're going to try to cover at least the, the main questions, and if there's time, we'll try to take a few live questions. Um, I'm going to read Rabbi Bachner's bio, and then Rabbi Bachner, the floor is yours. Shlomo Bachner founded Boyne Oilam with his wife in 1999. It started out as a small fund to help couples in need of financial assistance for fertility, tr fertility treatments, and since turned into an enterprise with 27 chapters around the world, funding hundreds of treatments and medicine each year with diagnostic labs and the forefront of genetic and fertility advancements with private fertility clinics and more. Rabbi Bachner is a visionary and day-to-day -day director of Boyne Oilam and responsible for the birth of close to 10,000 babies born to date. Boyne Oilam's yearly budget is over $14 million, of which Rabbi Bachner does not accept a penny for his work. It's a big schuss to have him on tonight. Thank you, Rabbi Bachner, for making yourself available to the audience, especially during the busy time as Boyne Oilam launches its annual campaign of the year. Rabbi Bachner, the floor is yours. Good evening. It's a very proud moment, I have to say, to connect to Klal Yisrael. And I would like to start with a bracha and a bracha response. Hashem should help us all. We should always be zoicha, to hear from each other only simchas. Hashem should give us all health, children, healthy children, nachas from our children. Hashem should help all our children should go in Hashem's way. We should be able to marry them off and have nachas generations and generations to come. This is a bracha which is basically covers the entire Jewish life and our purpose for being in this world and the purpose for being a Yid. Tonight's get together, I guess, is people have questions to ask. I will try to answer all of them as the best as I can. We need a special shiata for that too. However, 
I do want people to understand that under every question that is asked, there are many answers. Can't always answer all the answers for every question. We are going to try the best as we can. I do welcome after this program, anybody who has any more questions or wants to comment, please feel free to email and I will try to respond as best as I can to each and every one. Everyone's comment, every person's thought is very, very important to me because this is how Bainoidon was built with the heart and the thoughts of Claudia Sorrell. I am ready to take my first question. Okay, so I have tons of questions. Let's first start with a video, if that's okay. We're gonna share a video and then we'll take a poll and then we'll do questions, okay? Kara Wachner? Yes, yes. Okay, let's start with the poll first. Okay, everybody, let's let's ask this two-question poll. Launch it just to get from the uh, feeling from the oil. First question, we're asking everybody, it's anonymous. For everybody here tonight, how common how common is infertility in our communities? What's your guess? Zero to 5% of couples, 6 to 15% of couples, or 60%, 16% or greater? How common is infertility in our communities? The second question I have is, what do you think is the hardest challenge for couples going through an infertility issue? Do you think it's the hardest issue, in your opinion, would be finances? A, B, emotional support? C, just basic knowledge, doctor's treatments, what to do? Or number four, living in a community with children and not having a child of your own? Please answer those two questions. I'll give you five seconds and then Rabbi Bachna, I'll show you the results. If you want to just respond to them in your in your version and then we'll go to the video and then we'll really, we have a wealth of questions here. We'll try to cover, okay? okay. Um, so, I'll let them answer. They, they can't see the answer yet. So give them one second. Five, four. Okay, ready? Yeah. Look, I'm sharing the answers. I want everybody to see the answers. 4% of people here think that 0 to 5% of couples have infertility issues in our communities. 38% of people think it's 6% to 15%. 58% think it's 16% or greater. Rabbi Bachner, in your 20 plus years of experience, what's 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 the average? Well, first of all, is it depends how people grade what the word infertility means. To somebody, a minor issue might be infertility. To some people who are more knowledgeable in the field, it takes a lot more than that to be case infertility. The United States government has a statistic, which is quite close to the statistic to the state of Israel too, between one in six or one in seven couples will struggle somewhat in their fertility life with issues pertaining to infertility. It doesn't mean that many of them are major issues. Some of them are issues which we can't even address even if we want to, it's a widespread, but the government rates this one in six in Israel, they rated one in seven. Okay, Robert, second question. What do you think is the hardest challenge for couples with infertility issues? 13% of people think it's finances. 70% feel it's emotional support. Only 9% feel it's basic knowledge of doctors and treatments. And a whopping 60% feel it's living in a community with children and not having a child of your own. So I will add another option to answer this question. It's all of the above. I didn't I just, want to that would be the option. <laughs> no, because it's so true. It depends. You have to understand everybody takes a challenge different than the other person. Some people will take certain things much easier than other people, and some people take, take it much harder. The truth is, is really all of the above. But there is one thing which I feel throughout my entire experience 
which I think is above all, is fear. F-E-A-R, fear. We are afraid if we're going to be successful, if we're ever gonna have a child or children. If a couple, when they start this journey, can somehow get some kind of an assurance, we are going to have children, healthy children, 90% of the load goes away because we will have Mietzeshev. There is light at the end of the tunnel for sure. It just a matter how fast we're gonna get there and how hard it's gonna get there. Fear is most probably the strongest of all the feelings. Now fear does include in itself financial issues. It includes itself the, the pain of, this, of the treatment and how I'm gonna be able to take it, whatever comes along with it. From my experience, from my own experience, and from the experience when I'm dealing with thousands of people for so many years, I think it's fear, which is the biggest, the biggest challenge when a couple begins the journey of infertility treatment. Okay, Shreifar Bachner, let's start a little video about Rabbi Bachner's uh, usual day, how he starts his day. Rabbi Bachner, right? You wake up usually in the afternoon, something like that, right? <laughs> we'll start with that, and then uh, Coach Menachem will, will start with some questions, because we have a lot. Let's go. So what is the question? Okay, 4.30, 4.45 a.m. The phone starts ringing for the calls coming in from Israel and coming in from Europe. That's when I have a chance to sit in my kitchen, take the phones and learn. We go to Dalvin very early because we never know what the day brings us. Typical day will start off sitting in the office in the morning, taking phone calls from patients. After that, it's usually phone calls to doctors and centers because blood work has come back. Results have come in. We have to deal with the doctors in the first part of the day. Late afternoon, this is when the couples come home from work. It's again couple time, medicine time, which can last to seven, eight o'clock at night. Night's supposed to finish by 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, but never finishes before 1 a.m. Many times I can get a call 3 o'clock a.m. Tomorrow I'm getting results. I can't sleep. Explain to me the worst case scenario and how good I can go. The night is gone. The night is over. But she actually can't sleep. The struggle became very hard. I used to make deals with the Rebunchlin. I used to walk home, I used to talk to Rebunchlin. When I got married, I thought I'm gonna have a whole bunch of children. You don't wanna give me a bunch, give me one. Give me one, only one. And I remember for that one child, I cried so much, one, only one. And when that also did not happen, you, know, you feel like you're rejected. As much as we believe in Hashem, and we are Maminim, and we are Makabal, Hashem's Gazal then, but you're still human. He's still angry. Every time I walked into shul, I used to talk to myself. Shlema, control yourself. Control yourself. You're in a shul, you have to daven. Try not to get hurt, but you're gonna hear what you're gonna see. And people walk away from people that were in pain, not because they're bad. They don't know how to react. They don't wanna hurt you. That was even more painful. After 120 years, 
Muslims can ask you, know, Shalami, you went through such a hard time of having children. At least, or you're there for other people, they shouldn't, they shouldn't feel your pain. I, I just can't understand in 2019, 2020, there's still people struggling, and if it's only because of money, how can we allow that? I'm not complaining, because Claudio was very good to this mitzvah. I can't say we put together for this cause over $120 million in the last 20 years. And we have changed a lot of things in labs. We really have done something for Claudio forever, ever to go on. But still, not everybody yet is helped. And everyone that's not there in the... It's painful. Wow. Okay. So I think before before we get the questions that we got, if Rabbi Bachman, if you can tell us a little bit from how how this whole organization Bonio Elam started, if you can share with the Elam a little the Haschula from the organization. Well, there actually there were many components that actually brought to the beginning of this organization, but I'm going to refer to one because of I don't want to have I want to waste a lot of time on that on my personal story. It's more the tachlis that I want people to be able to ask questions. So it all began, in my opinion, we were together once a group of people for treatment, and my next door neighbor, which was another couple. And we were out of the country and it was a Friday morning when our neighbor, the couple came back and they approached my wife because I, I guess I was that time davening shachris, I wasn't back yet. And they asked my wife that they need another $2,500. They ran out of money and they do have to change their medication. So they had to buy an entire cachet of medication. It's very expensive. Fertility medication hormones is, is probably one of the most expensive medicine we can buy today. So my wife says, I'll ask my husband. When I came home, my wife put the question to me and I was searching for an answer, to be quite honest. So then my wife tells me, listen, Shlomo, we don't need it now for the moment. They need it now for the moment. If they're not going to have, they're definitely going to lose their chance. Maybe you won't need it. Maybe you would, but for the moment now, they need it and we don't need it. So we decided to give them the money. And the end was they came home the twins. Unfortunately, we came home empty-handed. But when we heard the good news for them, that there is positive news, I remember my wife telling me, Shlaim, look what $2,500 made. It made a difference in a person's life, people's lives. We knew then they were carrying twins. We're part in the Simcha for $2,500. I was very happy and I was very proud. So, that's when my wife started pushing the point more and more. We should really open up something and help people pay for treatments. People never were able to afford fertility treatment. It was always very expensive. I'm talking when you go to top-notch places, top-notch labs, and top-notch doctors, they're very expensive, always was, and will always be. And it's a pity to see people struggling to have a child, children, when only actually money is the barrier between them. So this is when my wife came up with the idea she wants to open up an organization. I was not sold on it that quickly, to be quite honest. Little did I know what my future is going to hold, but my wife spent months convincing me 
until that year, it was Erev Yom Kippur. I was going to shul with my kitla, with my magza, and she blocked me the door. And she says, you're not going to shul until you don't promise me that you're going to join me with my nayla. It was a very emotional moment. It's Erev Yom Kippur. And we have, we had at that time major issues to discuss with the Rebbein Shalom. We were going through a very, very hard time. I had no choice. I said, yes. Matzi Yom Kippur. After the fast, I asked my wife, so what's my job? My job is, my wife explains to me, there's no money in the bank. So the next Sunday morning was the first time ever in my life that I approached a person for money. I can't begin to tell you how the earth burned under my feet. What in the world am I doing? I pinched myself. Are you normal? Are you normal? You have no children. You go around asking people for money. But Hashem has his ways. This person gave me the first $5,000. I couldn't believe it when the man wrote out the check. He says, wow, this is really what Hashem wants. The rest is history. We raised for this cause, it was probably close to $160 million. There are branches all over the world. And when we say we're going to be celebrating almost 10,000 children, these are 10,000 children that we paid for. There are other 10 or 15,000 children that did not need my money. They only needed my guidance, my connections, getting them better deals in the hospitals and centers. There's an empire out there from children that were born from this chesed. This is one of the components that brought Bernard into this world. Okay, Rabbi Bachner. Let's get into some questions over that came in. Somebody sent a question from a woman. I've been married now for three years without children. My husband keeps on telling me to relax We'll take it easy, take some time. We can't afford to even start thinking about this stuff. Can you advise me, first of all, how to deal with my husband, A, and B, what's the first steps for couples who are not pregnant after three, four years? So, first of all, there's a question, age. It's very different when we're talking about a 22, 30-year-old woman or we're talking about a woman that's 30-plus or 35-plus, huge difference. But let's say we're talking about a young woman. Three, four years is a long time. It doesn't mean it means something serious. What I do in this case is I send them both for blood work. Now, from blood work, you can get more or less a feeling, are we dealing with a major issue? Or it's an issue which is, I would say sometimes a non-issue in the end, but it's something which we can deal with with time. But if we do get some signals in the blood work that we're dealing with something major, then we do recommend treatment ASAP because age plays a major role in the biological clock. Now, I know there are a lot of women out there, especially singles, that they push off freezing preservation because no, I have time, I'm still young. My mother had children at this age, my grandmother had, this is so not true in this day and age. It's a very, very different world today. Every year makes a difference. I'm not going to tell you about 22, 23 is as major as 30 to 31 or 35 to 36. However, I do believe in doing non-invasive blood tests, blood work, and from there we should judge where we proceed. How should she deal with her husband? The husband doesn't want to deal with it right now. Well, I, as far as I know, wives have... A, very good way how to get their husbands to do whatever they think they should be doing. Look what my wife made me do. <laughs> okay.
Okay, this is a follow-up question. A few people are texting right now. It's a general question. Is there any age limit? Can a woman in their late 30s or early 40s who are still, still be able to have children and would they be able to get assistance via Boina Oilo? I'm sorry, I, I missed the beginning of your question. Is there any age limit? Can women in their late 30s or even early 40s get assistance? Anyone? No, there is no age limit. As long as a woman can produce a follicle, we get a doctor, a decent doctor, they give the okay to move on, we will be there for them. Well, thank you for that. Somebody who gives money to Bainalam is asking a general question. I always give money to Bainalam. I support the Moisad. I think it's a tremendous thing that what you're doing for Kalah Yisrael. But I'm just curious, can people in these situations just get the proper medical insurance that covers most of these treatments? No, the answer is technically there's really no insurance. However, however, there's a law passed in New Jersey. If you are an employee of a company of over 50 employees, you are eligible for insurance. But most of my patients do not work in companies of over 50 employees. And in New York, it's, I think, over 100 employees. In New York, not every center has to take the insurance, even if you have the insurance. So throughout the United States, I think there are three or four more states that have mandatory insurance. Most do not have. But I want to add a point, which is very important. Some of the real top-notch centers do not take insurance at all, regardless of what you have. You might have out-of-policy rewards network that you can get back money. It depends on the insurance company. But by far and large, I would say 97 98% of patients that come to us do not have any insurance coverage at all. We have a question from someone asking about their neighbors. He's saying he's not, his neighbor doesn't have kids for 10 years. He's not trying to minimize the pain, but doesn't it just make sense just to adopt at this point instead of being so out of it, depressed and borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars? Absolutely not. Adoption is not an exchange for having your own child. Adoption unfortunately, has a long history of being very complicated. Children, when they grow up being adopted, many of them are going through a very, very hard time. I'm not saying this, should not, this is not an option to be exercised at all, but to consider adoption over struggling for your own biological child, that's not an option at all. Okay, Rabbi somebody just texted, just curious, what age would you recommend a single girl should, should start freezing her eggs? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question. Which age? Well, honestly, my opinion would be in the late 20s. Does not mean if they didn't do it in the late 20s, they shouldn't do it up to any age you could, because we have seen women be metzliach. But by far and large, I do encourage them to do it as early as, as young as possible. They don't have to use them. Shem helps, they do a shidduch, and they try naturally, and many of them do have children, they don't have to go back to it. But we have seen, unfortunately, many women in the early 30s are not producing the way we would like them to see at that age. This is a very powerful question. So let's just take a breath before we ask the question. 
We've been trying for many, many years all over the world, all different types of IVF treatments. The doctor came in the last time after our last failed treatment and he basically said to us, it's not going to happen. We're never going to have children of our own. As a frumian, is there a time just to give up and stop this unbearable pain? Absolutely not. I, you're asking me, we call this a very blind question. I don't know the story. I don't know who the doctor was. We always should look for somebody else, another opinion. I want to quote you something from the Alta Belzerusha. He once said a Gewaldigazach. A person came into him crying. He says, Rebbe, my I'm ill. And my doctor told me that he has exhausted every option of trying to heal me. What am I going to do? So the Belzeruf told them, maybe he has exhausted all his options. Doesn't mean that somebody else does not have any options. Now, again, this is a very general question. It's a very general answer. But by far and large, I can tell you that in my experience, from all these years, we have had people that were told by many times, by the, even by good doctors, ain't going to happen. It did happen. So always, we should go and try to look for another opinion. We do a lot of that work for people, consultation, when they bring us all the paperwork and we review it for them. And many times we came up with ideas that was never tried on that before, and they won't sleep. Never give up because there's no reason to give up. Okay, let's go to the next question over here. So many over here. I live in a beautiful development with a lot of from neighbors. As you can imagine, everyone has children and families. Some even have as much as 15 siblings. It's 15 children. Shabbos afternoon in the summer looks like a camp. My closest friend and neighbor is 32 and has been married for many years without children. The issue is it's so hard to talk with her. Most of the woman's conversation is about our kids. I'm not sure how to make her feel comfortable. Almost every conversation is painful for her. Please advise the way to be a true friend. So a person's asking for their neighbor who doesn't have kids for many, many years. And every time they're together, the conversation is always about children and they, they, she sees the tsar from that person. I'm so glad you asked this question because this question has been asked thousands of times and it's a very important question. And I will say again, no answer fits for all. However, I do want that people that have Hashem, a family of children should understand that people that are struggling with fertility are no different than them. We are all our people. I had no children, unfortunately. And I did not like when my friends stayed away from me. I lost all my friends when, I, when somehow people found out I was struggling with children and I was going for treatments. I got back some of my friends maybe 22 or 23 years later after they finally decided, oh, I'm not having any more children so we can bring them back into the loop. This is so wrong and maybe so cruel too. If a couple has no children, lives in a neighborhood where there are a lot of children, they should be brought into every discussion, make them feel good. Yes, we have to use common sense. When this person is amongst us, we should try to avoid issues which directly talk about our children. But there is so many other things to talk about and make this person part of the conversation. The worst thing you can do to a couple struggling with fertility to lock them out. This adds so much pain and so much unnecessary suffering for them. Why? Why am I different? You know, many times I used to go to weddings 
I used to walk into a hall. Thousands of people were there. And I felt all alone. How can you feel all alone? I used to tell myself, Shlemy, you're here amongst all the people. Why do you feel so alone? But feelings are true. I felt I'm alone. Why am I alone? Because I didn't feel anybody related to me. Everybody knew this man has no children. And so, and so, why am I being treated differently? This was one of my major struggles. I worked very hard on myself. I overcame. And I tried to counsel couples today that they should live their own lives and not worry how people relate to them. But for the people around this couple, yes, you might have to add another few seconds of thought how you're going to deal when this person is amongst us. But it's a mitzvah to get these people involved. Call them to simchas. It's their option if they want to come or not. Don't make them feel much worse than they are feeling now because, ah, these people also understand that we don't belong here. This is unnecessary hurt and unnecessary suffering. Yes, a little bit more common sense how we're going to deal when we are all together, but we should be all together. No reason. No reason why they cannot be part of everything in our lives. Would you, count, would you counsel couples to open up, to put the pink elephant on the table, to tell, tell their neighbors, you know, I would love to be part of it? No, absolutely not. This is not a discussion that people struggling with fertility enjoy. Nobody wants their privacy invaded. No. However, if somebody has tachlis, could really do something tachlisic, not just to yent around and talk around with other people's issues, just to try to pry. This is how sometimes these people feel, ah, oh, they only pry know what's going on with us. No, tachlis. Maybe this person needs somebody to talk to the Rebbe, to the Mashpia, to the Rosh Koil, or to her Kala teacher, or Machanachas. Yes, do something constructive. And maybe they're struggling financially too. There's so many things that we can do, which is really tachlis, helping your neighbor and your friend if you really care. Just to pry and get involved in their personal life is an absolute no-no. Rebecca, somebody just texted me a question, so I want to address it quickly. What should a parent's role be in a children's life? especially when they don't talk or share and they leave the parents in the dark while they see the child is struggling with that issue? So this question actually needs an answer which is going to go back many years. It really depends the relationship from parents to their children. I have many cases where the parents are involved literally on a daily basis, which I think is too much too. There are parents which when they find out that their child is struggling with fertility, they get lost. They're not here. They can't face it. They can't deal with this issue. That's also wrong. There's always a happy medium. There's nothing wrong when mommy invites the couple to her house with no other siblings around. And there's nothing wrong when mommy sits on the couch after Lechtsen and talks to her daughter heart to heart. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get close to your issues, private, you, your husband. But I want you to know, Shefala, I'm your mother. I'm hurting you. I want to help. Is there anything in the world that I can do to make this journey for you easier? Now, the parents also have to be sure that if they're going to be answered that they need help, they should be able to give it. If they're not going to be able to comply whatever they offer, rather than not offer. But there is a way. There's a common sense way. There's always a middle way. There's always a highway that how we can talk to the children one thing I will tell you something. 
children that struggle in fertility are yearning. They're yearning for the love from the parents, understanding from their parents. Everybody has a different ingredients to it. Not, not every family is alike. However, to get lost and disappear from the screen is extremely painful. Get involved on a daily basis, ask questions when you're not getting the answers, have cycle, walk away. But always to try in a small way, I want to get, I want to help you. Is there anything I can do for you? And don't push it too far when you see there's no response coming. This is really what the couple wants to hear. They want to feel that they have a rock behind them. There's somebody there for them. Okay, Rabbi Bach, I'm going to give you a little break. We brought on Rabbi Daniel Fleischer over here. He wants to share her story with the Oilam. Rabbi Daniel, if you could be kind enough, I know this is probably an interesting place, but uh, you know, there's met some thousands of people that are watching this and we're going to watch who knows for how long. If you could share for people that are going through this, your story and give the chizuk. The floor is yours. Well, first of all, thank you for having me and Rabbi Bachner, always a pleasure to see you and to speak with you. Um, where to start with our story? I can say that, you know, unlike many other couples who sometimes it takes a few years to realize that maybe there's an issue, they should go see someone. Um, my wife and I found out pretty early on, um, we were married only a couple of months and she had a different medical issue, nothing major. And while she was being checked up, it happened to be that the doctor saw something and told us, you know, you're gonna have a hard time having children and you might want to see someone about it. We went to see a doctor and, you know, he tried to help us out a bit. We didn't know who to look for, what to look for, which centers were good, which ones were not. We went to see a doctor that a relative recommended for us. Um, it was not successful and we didn't know where to go next. We did not have a great experience at the doctor, so we knew we didn't want to continue there. I called up my Rosh Hashiva at the time just you know, to get a boost, to get some chizuk from him, and told him the whole situation, told him what was going on. I, I still remember it clearly like it was yesterday. He was quiet for a few seconds, and he said, Daniel, stay by your phone. I'm going to call you back in a few minutes. Okay, he hung up the phone. I'm waiting, and a few minutes later, he called me back, and he said, here's a phone number. This is the phone number for Rabbi Shlomo Bachner. He heads an organization called Bonei Olam, and give him a call. He's going to help you out. So, as Rabbi Bachner mentioned before, making that initial phone call is not easy. You know, you always want to give to tzedakahs. You don't want to be the one who has to be the recipient or the beneficiary of a tzedakah. But, you know, it, it took a couple minutes for me just to get my nerve up and I called him. He right away was able to put me at ease and he helped us out. He sent us, told us which doctor to do, what, you know, tests to run. And that really started our journey in earnest was, you know, when we really, really got into it. It was not easy, even from then on. We went to a couple doctors, had some tests. They found that we had a variety of different things that was affecting us. And we went for test, procedure, IUIs. I, I don't even know how many we did and nothing seemed to work. At one point we said, okay, it's time to switch to IVF. The doctor didn't think that it was even necessary at first for us to do IVF. He thought IUI would be fine. 
we switched to IVF. And our first one was a complete disaster because we didn't even have a single egg that fertilized in our first IVF cycle. So my wife went through all the drugs, the hormones, everything with nothing, you know, we had zero to show for it. Our second round was a little bit better, but again, was unsuccessful. Before our third cycle, we did some additional testing so they can see what was going on. Um, we did our third IVF cycle and I could still remember one of the office staff there, my wife was, you know, sort of friendly with her. And I remember she called us up with the results screaming to tell us that it was successful, that my wife was pregnant. You try to give over what the excitement is to get something like that. It's, it's impossible. You know, if you're there, you, you to see it, to experience it, to try to give it over now, all these years later, I, I can't. So we, you know, we thought, great, we're done, right? We got past the hard part, she's pregnant. She's actually pregnant with twins. So we're going back to the appointments, the follow-ups, everything seems to be going great. And on our the last day, sorry, I have to back up a bit, but at the time I was trying to go with my wife to all the appointments and I was taking off time from work and they didn't have the options now where you can work from home. It really wasn't available back then. And I was missing time at work. And then my boss called me into his office one day to tell me, I'm sorry, you're missing too much time. If you miss any more extra time, we might have to fire you. So at that point, my wife had to start finding you know, rides to get to her appointments. And I was not even able to be with her, which was very difficult. One day, it was supposed to be our you know, graduation day from the fertility specialist. I told my boss well in advance that I was like saving my last day to go with her because I wanted to be there for it. And we went into the appointment and we, the doctor, you know, I remember seeing the doctor's face with the ultrasound machine and he's looking and I just saw on his face, something seemed wrong. And we found out that, you know, my wife had miscarried the, the pregnancy. And I'm sorry, even now, these years later, I'm starting to tear up from this now. I was crushed. I, I didn't know what to do. I, I couldn't function. I don't even remember exactly. I know I drove my wife home. I had to go into the office because I didn't have the full day off. And I remember driving into the office and having to pull over on the way there because I just, I, I couldn't think straight and I just didn't like feel like I could drive. It, it was, you know, I, I could say probably one of the worst days that I ever had in my life when you think you're like just, you know, flying so high and you just come crashing down. At that point, they ran some more tests to try to figure out why she had miscarried. And at that point, the doctor told us, I don't think this is going to work and, and you should probably look into adoption. Again, you know, within a couple of days after that first one, another crushing day, a, a horrible thing to hear for us. And I called up Rabbi Bachner, I was crying hysterically. I called up Rabbi Bachner and I told him what the doctor said. And Rabbi Bachner said, what do you mean? He's a doctor. Hashem told him, Hashem doesn't give the doctor's permission to tell you that you're not gonna get better. Hashem gives the doctor's permission to heal. So we're gonna send you to another doctor. This is what they said the issue is. There's a doctor in New York who, you know, they might have a way to treat that. And he sent us to another doctor. We went to that doctor 
he checked out my wife and he said, yeah, there's a procedure maybe we can do, but I think before we do that, we might wanna try one IVF cycle because I'm not sure that it really would be such an issue, but you know, I, I really think that we should do one IVF and if it doesn't work, then we can talk about the procedure. It has a very low success rate. If it goes wrong, then you're really gonna ruin any chance you have really of ever carrying your own child to term. But let's try that one IVF, it might be your last shot. So we went in, you know, drove into the city all the time, had the appointments, and what can I say? You know, it, it was the one that worked. So, you know, my wife got pregnant with twins. And again, you know, now I realized it wasn't necessarily the hard part that we got over, the hardest part, you know, there was still a long road to go. Rabbi Bachner also set us up with the best specialist for high-risk pregnancies in the area um, who we went to. Um, he still to this day will tell us that my wife's case was the most difficult case he ever encountered in his entire career. Uh, we heard he has a picture of our twins front and center on his desk. And, you know, Baruch Hashem, we, you know, we made it. Our kids were born slightly premature. A couple, they were born at um, 32 weeks, about 30, between 32 and 33 weeks. I guess one of the perks of IVF is you know exactly how far along you are. Um, and, you know, they stayed in the NICU for a little bit and they came home, Baruch Hashem, they're healthy. You know, I, I told them in advance when you first called me about this that I wouldn't be able to bring my kids out because they're in camp for the summer. So, you know, they can't be here with us tonight. Daniel, I want to share, share the picture of your kids with everybody. And um, thank you so much for being vulnerable and being, you know, telling everybody a story. It means a tremendous amount. This is a picture of Daniel's twin boy and girl, if everybody could see it. Two beautiful children. I'm actually going to even share. I want to share the bar mitzvah picture because I think it's such a nice picture if we could share that one also. Sure. How the bar mitzvah? The bar mitzvah was just a few weeks ago. It's actually... Um, my, my children's birthday is the 14th of Tammuz, so really, you know, less than, a, less than a month ago was the Bar Mitzvah. Wow. Daniel, thank you so much. Okay, Rabbi Bachner, we have so much more ground to cover. You ready? Ready. Okay, I want to ask about secondary infertility. I had three kids the first, seven, the first seven years of our marriage. We took a large break, but now we're trying for a few years and going nowhere. I have two questions for you, Rabbi Bachner. Does it make sense to reach out to Boina Island for help? We feel guilty with Baruch Hashem, we have a family, but there's so many people who don't even have any children. That's A. And B, how common is secondary infertility? Okay, the first question first. Now, a person should always reach out to Bernalim, whether it's going to be financial help or it's going to be somebody that can guide you, get you into a good doctor, review your blood work and your, your entire file, get you better prices and centers. We have done this always, and we will always do this. When I am actually, for many, many years, until last year, we were basically only able to finance primary. Now, primary, I would like people to understand, I'm not talking about the primary couple. There are so many things that my name spends millions of dollars, which is related to primary people, the primary couples. For instance, we have a huge program that costs us a year, millions of dollars, genetics. Now, we're just gonna focus on that alone. 
all the resources we have, we have to put in place that a person should at least first have one child. Many other services are involved, but all this is spent at least to give everybody that comes to us a chance to have first child. Last year, when we had the charity, which was just a year ago, we reached a goal of $5 million, and I got onto the mic, and I pleaded with Claudia, so if you give me another million dollars, I will open up a secondary program, waiting for the second child. The theme of that event was not to be alone. The children are alone. Single children are alone. So my heart ached for them. I wanted to do something for them, so we raised another million dollars. And I actually, the last 12 months, we were sponsoring, in part, people struggling to have their second child. When a couple is up to the third and fourth child, it doesn't fall to that category, but we can be an, Im an immense source of help for them. We do get excellent prices as centers, which the couple themselves will never get. We do review their files, which I stressed it a few times tonight because I find this sometimes to be the key that they should be matzliach. Now, the second question, is it off, how often is secondary? Now, it really depends what the cause for the primary was. Many times, more than many times, after having the first child, a lot of issues get settled and they don't have to struggle, again, become secondary patients. However, if the issue in the first place was something which is I will call it a built-in problem. Yes, they might have to struggle, but let me add a point. When you do a treatment in a good center, and you are metzliach, even though to walk away only with one baby, but we are able to harvest and freeze embryos, it doesn't mean that you have to go through this entire process all over again. It's like 25% of the work to have another child and way cheaper. So a secondary can, have an entire family after being a primary without doing any treatments too. Okay, let me ask, let me ask the next question. A very interesting question, Rabbi Bachner. It's a little bit off topic, but I, I, I want to ask it anyway. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. Rabbi Bachner, I'm a fundraiser for a large Moises, and sometimes I just feel like giving up. People ignore you and make you feel bad, and the expenses and demands keep on growing out of control. My question to you is, how do, do you do this incredible moisid? Your budget is in the millions upon millions. I'm sure the pressure from the needy people is unbearable. Just need chizik for myself and it's extremely important needed as well. Just somebody who's, you know, this is what you do. Talk about that. So first of all, to that ask, and I will tell them, welcome aboard. This happens all the time. It happens every hour in the day. The key to success is how much you yourself believe in the mitzvah that you're doing. If you believe that this is a mission that Hashem set you on, then you should be able to handle all these, all these hardships. For myself, I never wanted to do by nine. It's not my brainstorm. And I don't like what I'm doing, to be honest with you. This is not me, this is not my character. But I got to realize, and with the chizik of many of the Gedoli Yisrael, that this is what Hashem wants for me. Once I started believing, that I'm a shalif from HaKadosh Baruch I'm a shalif from Klal Yisrael, as many hardships were thrown my way, and they're not easy. Sometimes I go to sleep at night so frustrated, I can't even explain it. But I do know the underlying feeling is, who am I doing this for? I'm doing this for the Rebbein I'm doing this for Klal Yisrael. 
tomorrow morning will be a better morning and tomorrow will be a better day. When you go with that feeling, knowing that you're feeling that you're fulfilling a mission in life, don't people work very hard for Panossa? Don't they have setbacks of business? But they, could, but they continue. Why would they continue? Very simple, because they have to. They have to bring bread to the table for their, for their families. If you believe in your mission the way you believe that you must bring Panossa to the house, you'll be able to overcome these hardships too. Here's a question from a, a single boy. I'm a single bocher who's read a shidduch to an amazing girl and really want to get engaged. My family did research and seems like there are two siblings that are having infertility issues and my family is concerned. Can you give me some ideas on how to deal with the situation? Well, when it comes to a shidduch, there's nothing wrong that the person who's involved in the shidduch should ask questions. It's his life or her life. It's that person who they're gonna set up life together and have a family together. Questions should be asked. But just because two siblings don't have any children don't mean that this person we're talking about has issues too. It could be from the other side of the marriage. It could be a husband, it could be a wife. There's so many options that could be that really doesn't pertain anything to this person. Yes, it's prudent and it's wise to do some homework. There's nothing wrong to ask the shatran this, this bothers me. Can I have an answer for it? Most people will come forth with an answer. I just actually, uh, tonight, there was a shit of someplace in New York, which I was involved. There was a boy spoken for a girl, which there are two siblings, actually, exactly the story that you said, that have a certain issue. Now, that issue, I feel, might be genetic, but we couldn't place anything. We couldn't find... Uh, gene responsible for it and after consulting one doctor another doctor we came to the conclusion that we can move on or we had all the information that we needed nothing wrong to ask always ask but it doesn't mean that there is a problem with this with this person actually that we're speaking about this is coming from a couple that's starting with the whole treatment my wife and i are starting to starting to get checked out after a few years of marriage without children I'm asking a very broad question. What is the course range for a simple solutions to more complex? Since I plan to ask our parents for financial help, I have to know what to ask them. That's A and B. Okay, uh, Rabachna, just whoever's by Rabachna, unmute him. By mistake, we muted him. So just unmute him, whoever's there in the room. Second, Rabachna. Yeah, just unmute him. Thank you. Rabachna, I'll read the question again. My wife and I are starting to go, going to get checked. And after three years of marriage, we have, you know, we have no children. Just asking a very broad question. What's the course range for simpler solutions to more complex, since I'm planning to ask my parents for financial help? Also, is it okay to ask Boyna Oilam to pay if I technically could borrow or get the money from family? Okay. Again, first question first. Before they do anything, there's really nothing what to worry about. We have to wait for the results for the first test to come back. And I always encourage people that the the most, the majority of people do not have major issues. So we don't have to be scared. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to, in the beginning, worry what's going to be in the end. And there is no set plan. Nobody knows what's going to be in the end. We are Yidin. We believe in Hashem. We have a Muna. We have to do our Shabbos and move on. No, there's no, nobody knows 
what's going to be in the future. However, majority of people don't have any major issues. So before they do any testing, this is not even a place to start worrying about it. After the results come back, hopefully the majority will not have to ask this question anymore because there won't be a major issue. If there is an issue involved, if your question was, should they ask their parents for help? Absolutely, yes. Parents come first. And if they feel comfortable asking their parents, for sure. Going to your second question, which actually for a second, I forgot. What was your second question? They can get the money, they can borrow it. They can yes, okay. A very important, a very important point, which I feel I'm happy you asked this question because this, this, this point has to be brought out to the public once and for all. People have a feeling that Bayna Ilim is the ATM machine. Why not take from a program? Why not? People have to understand, we get no funding from no government and from no major foundations. Every dollar that we give out is coming from people, from Eden. Some of them are poor people. They will scrimp and save and give money for Bainailam. If somebody has the way it means to get his treatments financed in his own, it's not fair to come and ask from Bainailam. I might not know the difference. I might help you because whatever, whatever documentation you bring me, I will follow those. And if it says that you're not earning money, I will have to give you money and I'm happy to do it. But if the person knows by himself and that he can really manage on his own, you're literally taking away from somebody else. It's not that I always have enough money. It's only a matter who gets it. Most of the time, I never have enough. There's always more people in need than when I have. The public has to realize that this is money from the kupa. This is money from tzedakah. This has to be taken very seriously. If you do not need the money, don't take this money. And that's because Hashem will help you that you won't need help from anybody else. But if you do need it, please do not hesitate to come and ask. We live in a small out-of-town community and we don't have any resources and volunteers. As a community, we want to be helpful for someone who needs the, the physical advice. What can the community do to give these people what they need? So a community, if they're serious about it, we can help them, we can train them, and we can set them up. We have today many communities throughout the United States, literally almost in every state where there are even living, whether it's Cleveland, Chicago, Texas, California, and New Jersey, whichever one there are is Denver, Colorado. We set up many of these groups in all these places, and the Bahashem, a lot of them are doing this on their own. If there is a will, we will definitely show them the way how to do it. And it is the right way to do it because people in the community do have a feeling and care more for people in their own community. Yes, I encourage that very strongly and we are here ready to help in that. Wasn't there a story when the community that uh, they put together, you said a story once a long time ago, I remember hearing it, about a community that all got together and you came there in the country and then they see you, they ask you a private question for help. Remember that story? The whole community set up that event for them. Yes, this, this is this is a major story. This happened actually overseas. Share. This, this is I'm sorry. Please share the story. Yes. So this story actually was one of the stories that still today gives me a boost in my arms. What by the does for Claudia so and mainly how we have to trust Hashem. So this story happened. There was a community 
is not in the United States of America, not important to mention where the country is. So they set up a new chapter of Boyne They made the first dinner and they asked me to come down to speak. And the entire town came. The entire town meant approximately 350 people. Small town, we all came. It was such a warm dinner, it was such a warm showing. There was such a warm involvement. I, I really was taken aback. I felt so good and so, it was really beautiful. After the dinner was over, and I was waiting for my car actually to take me home. And I see in the corner of the ballroom, there's a man still standing there looking on his phone. There's nobody in the hall. They have packed up the table. I'm just waiting for my ride. So I was wondering to myself, what is this person here for? So by doing this chesed and getting involved with people for so many years, I developed a certain sense. I can sense a people in need, people in need, or a person in need far away from me. And I have a feeling this man is looking for me. This comes along, actually, when you get involved with people. You get sensitive to feelings of people. So I walked over to him. I gave him Shemalachim. Did you attend tonight to dinner? I was sure he was going to say yes, and I was going to answer him, Givaldic, thank you, and tap him, pat him on his shoulder. And he says, no, I did not attend this dinner. I said, so what do you do now? It's 1 o'clock in the morning. I came to talk to you. Okay, here I am. So I knew my intuition was right. So he says... This is my story. This man has gone through literally, literally a Gehenna in this world. And he mentioned to me all the centers where he tried to be treated and he was not much slave. So I asked him, how can I be of help? He says, I want you to sponsor me a treatment in the United States. The United States of America today is most probably the best infertility treatment. We do things here that other countries are far, far behind. I would like you to sponsor me a treatment. Now, this treatment for this person to bring him over to the United States, we're talking was probably in the range of 40 to 50 grand. I says, yes, I will discuss it with, uh, with the group of people from this, from this town and we'll see what we can do for you, but I won't let you down. Give me a hug and he left. I turn around and I see my other two guys, which actually put the whole dinner together, they're ready for me to come home. And they come over to me and they ask me, so what, what did this person want from you? He says, what he wanted from me, he wanted I should sponsor a treatment in America. I did not know this was all planned. How smart I am, sometimes I'm quite silly. I don't pick up on these things. And they tell me, Epshleimer, this entire dinner was put together for this man, for this couple. We all came out to support him. So this whole dinner, getting together 350 people, flying down, giving up almost a half a week, was for one couple. I came back to the United States. I got in touch with the doctor. And it wasn't easy to get this person in. The doctor didn't give us a lot of hope. He was quite hesitant to try because he, he, he looked at the papers and said, look, everything was done, everything was tried, they all failed. What makes you think I'm gonna be successful? I told the doctor, we have to try the best we can. Does he have a decent amount, a decent chance of being successful? I remember the words it says, I wouldn't say decent, but there is a chance. So I told the doctor, do you know, I'm just coming back from a dinner, and this is this town where this man lives, the entire community came out to support this couple. They want him to have a chance by you. Did you take him out? He says, yes. Person came. 
We're not going into a lot of details. The procedure was done and we failed. When I got the call from the doctor, I literally broke down in tears because I knew what this man has gone through until he reached this point. I knew how hard I worked. And I knew what a disappointment this is going to be for the people back, back where he came from. I literally cried. I felt so bad for him because this was the end. He reached the end of the road. This is one of the incidents when a person knows there's no more hope. It's closure. It's closed. I went to sleep with a very heavy heart. This man was notified. He took it quite calm, quite good. But it's always, it's the calm before the storm. The next 24 hours, people are still numb. That's when, after the reality starts setting in, that's when the real pain begins. Look, listen to what happened. In the morning, early morning, the doctor came in. Now, in these areas, even if you fail, there's another part which is called pathology. The doctor might have given up whatever he has done, but pathology will still do searching in the lab for the next six, eight, 10 hours. Doctor came in the morning, early morning, five, five thirty. He goes and goes over to his desk. He has all the reports from the night before, and this couple's file came up, and there's a little red X in the corner, which means he failed. I know the story in detail because he himself repeated it to me. He says, I went into the I went into the lab, put on a white coat. I haven't worked in a lab, he says, in 30 years. I'm a surgeon. I don't do lab work anymore. I took out the slide and I started working myself on the microscope. But I'll go into details because we're in public. But I couldn't believe my own eyes that I was successful to identify some cells that we needed. He calls up this couple and they were sleeping not too far away from the hospital because after anesthesia, they don't let you travel home. He calls up this young man. The young man picks up the phone, he's all groggy. And he says, young man, can I see you in an hour in my office? And this man says, for what? He just told me last night that it's over. It's not a phone conversation. Be here, 6.30. Then he got out of bed. He had no clue. He came, he sat down. The doctor looks him in the eyes and says, you are one lucky man. The rest is history. He had a beautiful baby. I asked the doctor that morning. He called me up. Actually, I called him to congratulate him. And he says, what happened? He just spoke to me last night. Now listen to the words, what this doctor said. When I came in the morning and I saw that we failed even pathology too, I told myself, how can I do this to an entire community of 350 people? How can I disappoint an entire community? Rabbi Wachner told me this man is being supported by his entire town. Can't do that. So I did my best. I haven't, I haven't looked through a microscope in a lab what was how many years, but I had to do my best till the end. And we had such a beautiful, beautiful ending. I remember when I spoke to the doctor where I was sitting at my desk, I really buried my head in my hands and I started to cry. I said, you're far greater than I ever thought. And this should be a lesson for everybody struggling, not only infertility, everything in life. I'm a man that's gone through so many challenges in life, but I do know Hashem is there. There's a plan and Hashem will never, never, never let me die. Bye-bye.
Yeah. Wow, that was a powerful story. Okay, the, the last, I mean, I have a lot more questions, but uh, the next section of questions are the very hard questions. Can we, can we go there? Can we go there? Sure. Here we go. Rabbi Bachner, we are a couple now in our 60s and never had children, just like you. Can you please give us advice on how to accept and deal with this whole situation in our hearts and how to possibly even make something positive out of this reality of life situation currently? So, this is a very tough question. Problem is, I don't have enough time to explain this, but I will try to pick the best route. Actually, I'll pick my own route. I'm very experienced at how I deal with my own feelings. I became a therapist on myself. I've gone through all this pain and all these hard feelings that I try to help couples with. I'm able to help them because I tried to explain to them what I did for myself. And most of the times it worked. So this is what I share with people. First of all, first of all, when a person is in the 60s and he feels he has no children, what he should really do with the rest of his life is to do something positive. The worst is to end up your life and go into your grave with empty hands. If Hashem did not give you children, it's not because he's bad. This is a cheshven. This is something which is, doesn't have to be known to us. We trust Hashem, don't we? So this is not something that to be angry about. But instead of sitting and thinking and wallowing in your own pain, do something positive. If you're good in helping a Bucha in his learning, great. Can you help a struggling couple in your vicinity, whether it's with Panosa or get him a job or speak to some people to get him a decent job if you have Panosa? Do something positive for the tzibur. One does not even, no one can imagine what's hard and how happy in Shemayim Hashem is when somebody shares with somebody else and helps them. Just because you have no children doesn't mean that you're not a productive person, member from Claudius. So you are. Just think positive. And you'll find many ways how to fulfill your life. And you're going to be actually very happy with your accomplishments. This is an interesting question. As you are so personally involved with so many families, and I would assume a father of around 10,000 kids, do people reach out to you for other favors besides infertility? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've learned also this in my life. You don't have to be a professional only in one area. When you have a heart and you feel another eats pain, may it be whatever it is. If you want to help, Hashem is going to give you the wisdom, how to deal with them, how to help them, and will put the right words in your mouth. Just don't shy away. If somebody knocks on your door for help or whatever it is, I have done many shidduchim. Am I a shatchan? Far from it. But the mitzvah came to me. And we know nobody knocks on anybody's door for help if he wasn't sent there. Nothing happens on its own. If Moshe comes to my door and needs help in anything, that means somebody sent him. And that is the Rebbein Why shy away? Try your best. You'll, be, you'll see, you're going to be successful. It's all in how much you want to share with another person. How much you want to really feel his feelings, his pain. And you're going to see you're going to be very, very successful. There's a story with the, with the kid in the school. You want to share that story? 
think it's very apropos for that question. I'm really afraid to share that story because I don't want to be bombed with with uh, with, with requests because I, just because I was successful once. I was going to call you after the share to help me for that also, but okay. I'm sorry. I was going to ask you to help me with that also. <laughs> the, okay, but this was a very unique story. So the story is that I helped a couple. They actually came from Israel. Very nice couple. No money, self-understood. They were trying to make a life for themselves in the United States. Very khush people, very nice people. Helped them have them, helped them with the first child. And I remember that one time she called me. She says, I'm sitting in, in, in my back porch and I'm seeing the kochavim. And Hashem promised that we're going to have children like the stars. I ask you, please, for another child. I would like to have a second child. And all of a sudden, I hear a baby crying. So I asked someone, why is your baby crying? If the baby's crying, tend first to the baby and call me back. She says, no, my baby's crying because I have no milk in the fridge to give my child. I said, what? Do we have no milk? So I said, I'm hanging up. We'll talk in a half an hour. I arranged. And in 15, 20 minutes, a car pulls up, actually filled up the entire fridge. A child, these days, not having milk, after that, she didn't need major help for me. She had a second child. She built a beautiful family and successful, actually, today. When the Bar Mitzvah came around, she asked me to come for the Bar Mitzvah. I don't really go because I don't have the time and I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. What am I doing here? What shaykhs do I have? So I tried to refrain from going, but she made me so... I came. I hugged and kissed the Ben Mitzvah, a beautiful boy, took a picture, and I said goodnight, and I left. A year later, she's on the phone, and she asked Rabbi Bachna, I need to, I have to push my envelope a little bit further. What's now? My son graduated, and they're not accepting him into the yeshiva I want him to accept. So, so actually, what does that have to do with me? Maybe you can try. Maybe you can call the principal. Maybe you can call the menial. Maybe you can... So I asked him why he's not being accepted. So what I understood was that I guess he doesn't meet the curriculum. He doesn't, maybe that yeshiva is only for very special, very mitzion or whatever, and he doesn't fit that mold. Anyway, I, I called. I got a hold of the principal, and I asked him who's in charge of the school. So he gave me a name of a person. That name rang, rang a, rang a bell to me. And then I reminded myself, hey, I once did this person a favor. I'm going to call him. I called him. Nobody responded once or twice. So I called back this mother and tell her, I'm not being successful. So the mother tells me, so you know what that means? That means, you know, you're the father of this child. If not you, this child wouldn't be here. How are you going to feel when you know that your child is roaming the streets? It's your child. Somehow, she pushed the right button. And I started thinking, she's right. I worked so hard to finance that this child should be born. How am I going to feel if this boy is roaming the streets? I called up again and finally got a hold of him. And I told him, listen to me. It's either you fulfill my request or I'm going to have to push other buttons. This child is going to be accepted in your yeshiva. So we made a deal. He has to pass a certain test. We got a private tutor. We put in a lot of work for two and a half and three weeks, and he was accepted yeshiva. Not too long ago, the mother called me again. Boy, was I shivering. Maybe she needs help with another child, the yeshiva. 
No, she called me. That was so nice of her. And Nachas called. My son is finishing this first year in, in that yeshiva. He passed everything with flying colors. This was such a beautiful and happy ending. But what do you learn from this? Never should a person say, I can't do this, I can't do that. We always have to try our best. And you'd be surprised if you really mean it. If you don't set yourself limits, I can only do this and I can only do that. No, I can do everything. You'll see how much you're going to be matzlich. Next question is a tough question. Are there sometimes in particular cases that Bonyalim can help? For example, I have a cousin with a marriage on the rocks, but it's clearly not mentally stable. How does Bonyalim deal with such type of situations? I, I didn't understand your question. I'm sorry. There's certain types of, let's say, people, there's certain types of situations that Bonyalim can help or don't help. Let's say they know there's certain issues. I don't hear the question. Can you please just repeat it one more time? I, I, I had it Sometimes, you know, maybe you want to ask the question, Manaka? I'll hit it. Are there sometimes infertility cases that Boina Oilam can't help or don't want to help? Yes. Yes, there are, unfortunately. You can see sometimes from the first blood work that we're really not going to be even given a chance. Yes, unfortunately. Okay. Let's go to the next question. I'm going to leave that one alone. The question I was also asking is more if you see there's like issues in the marriage or you see there's mental issues. That's one of them like shy away from that or I'm just curious. This is a very delicate question and I don't think I can really give a full answer on a, on a public forum. But what we do is actually many hospitals do it on their own. When a doctor senses that there is an issue like that by a couple, they will have to pass as an analysis in the hospital if they are able to become parents. Usually I am barred or refrained or I don't even get a chance to get involved at that point because doctors usually do this on their own. They are responsible for that issue. Okay, I'm gonna ask you the next question. It's a very uh, powerful question. And I'm gonna ask you from the Gila before I ask the question. Is that okay, Rabbi Bachner? You asked me Mechila before you asked the question. You should ask me Mechila after you asked the question, not before. I know you're not going to be happy. So I'm going to ask oh. you. So <laughs> I sent in a question. I find that there's a lot of special people out there that never had children, a lot of tzaddikim. Some the Chazanish, the Satmar Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And I'm going to equate you on my Cheshman, Rabbi Bachner, and so many others who never had children. What do you think there's some type of correlation with that? Sorry. Honestly, I don't know. Do I know the Cheshbonis in Shemaim? I honestly do not know. And I don't want to even try to think of an answer because I honestly do not know. Hashem's Cheshbonis is not made for us always to, to know. And I know a lot of people that were not the Cheshbonis and also did not have any children. I don't think there's any correlation. Every person has his challenge, his Nishbonis from a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and I don't think it's made to comment on it because it's silly. We don't know the answer, bottom line. Okay. Here's an interesting question. We both have a beautiful family and are very blessed. I have a family members, friends, and so many people who who helped from the beginning to the end. The story I've heard of is the amount of money are almost unimaginable. I want to be part of this amazing mitzvah. I do not have any extra money. 
and I am part of Zakeni. Is there anything I can do to make a difference? Well, if it really touches your heart that much, if you don't have money on your own, you can ask other people to donate. What do you think I do all day? All day, I'm asking people for help. If I can't do this on my own, if I had enough money on my own, I would not ask anybody for help in this organization because I do know how big this mitzvah is. I wouldn't even share it with anybody. But I shouldn't put, put it together this way that I have to give whatever I have to give and the rest I have to get from Claudius. So and whatever I cannot do on my own, I ask. If a person feels so strongly and I am thankful for that, there are people that do feel that way. If they can't do it on their own, they should get other people to do. I have one family, actually you reminded me while you asked me this question, I have a family that no money. They do every year a Hanukkah party. I'm actually connected to that family in a way. Many times they invite me to come up for the Hanukkah party. I go there for a few minutes. We have a certain relationship. One time I come up and I see there's a large basket on the table filled with, with tickets and, 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 and vouchers. And I ask, what, what is this? Just wait, wait. After, after the Suda, we're having a special program. After the Suda, the father gets up and says, I decided to make the Suda from Hanukkah something more meaningful. We know what Bainalim does. We cannot give money on our own because we do not have. But since we're all here, the entire family together, we are going to make a little raffle over here. And we are going to raise money. And whatever we raise is going to go for Bainalim. This was such a beautiful thought. Sitting by the table, group of people that do not have any money. And the raffles went for small money. But I was so proud to sit there. These people really tried out of their box. And who knows if in Shemaim, these few dollars were not more important than a lot of other monies that came from big people. And they were just as much as Metzliach having a baby because their heart was there. Everybody can help that everybody can do. It's all about limits. If we put ourselves on limits, then we're not going to be metzlich. If we understand that we're above limits, then we can be metzlich in any situation. Let's, 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 let's do the last two, and then we're going to go to closing Metzlich. I'm asking the question this way. We, we spoke about it a little bit, but I want to ask it again. And we got a lot of different versions. This is probably the most general asked question. Okay, Rabbi Vachter? Yeah. My son and daughter-in-law have not had children for many years now. I was advised to be supportive and give them the space they need. My question is, I have some money, I can give them. Also, they started missing a lot of simchas, and I understand the situation is very hard. When the younger siblings are making brisim and bar mitzvahs, please advise, how do I go about being supportive to my children and being there for them? Was this a, I, I just want to reconfirm the question. Was this a financial question? A, they have money. They, they, they know their kids don't have, you know, money to pay for treatments and it's many, many years. So they have the money. They want to give it to them, but how? And B, now there's also the, the general question. The other siblings are making bar mitzvahs and the simchas, the older siblings, uh, the younger siblings, and they, they don't know how to be supportive for them. We got this version, this question about 20 different versions. Yeah, you're asking the wrong person this question. There's nothing in the world as important as helping a couple have a child, have a baby. 
There's going to be a bar mitzvah, there's going to be a bris, and there's going to be a tenoyim. There's a question how fancy it's going to be and how beautiful it's going to look, what the simcha is going to be. This couple has no children. There's not even a question. Everything they have, anything they're ready to share, a child that has no children comes first, above all. Not even a question. If they have a hard time giving it themselves to the children, they can always contact others or they can contact by another. I have a lot of people that do that. I would like to sponsor my son. I don't want them to know. I'm not comfortable going through me. There's, there's so many ways how we can help a couple in anonymity. But if the question is, if they come first, absolutely. People do not have the depth of the pain that infertility is. It's not that somebody has a life but has an issue of infertility. They have no life. Don't you understand? Getting up in the morning and getting out of bed and getting dressed to start the day is a struggle. For what? For what am I, who am I doing this for? People don't have peace a second in the day. Nothing satisfied, nothing is happy. No traveling, no vacation. This is all silly stuff. It goes along with you. This pain meets you wherever you are. For sure, this is the biggest mitzvah and the first chesed that a person can do in his family or in general, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I think we should go to the last question over here. If we've been trying so many, to, so many treatments for over 10 years with so much pain without success as of yet. I would personally thank Bani Oilam for all they have tried and did for us. But from a, from a chizik point of view, if you can please give myself and my husband practical chizik to keep trying and being besimcha. The first point of chizik is that you're given a chance still to try. That's your first point of chizik. If there is still chances to try, Hopefully, by now, can be there for you now. Definitely try my best. That's the first point of chizik. The second point of chizik is that we have to understand children is a gift from the Rebbeinu Shalom. We cannot set terms. We cannot threaten. We cannot take it in a way, if I don't have it, I'm not going to be able to survive. We have to talk like intelligent people and like Elohim. Hashem is the one in charge, whether you're going to be mitzliach or not. All we have to do is hishtatlis. Nothing else really matters. I have seen people that had literally zero chances and walked in with a baby. And I've seen people walk in for treatments where having 90% chances to be successful and ended up at zero. It's all in Hashem's hands. Hashem doesn't need us to plan the future. If this doesn't work, I'll do this doesn't, it's not for us. All we have to do is shtadlis. Yes, shtadlis in a very smart way, in a way that we could be matzliach. The rest, just take it as Hashem gives it to us. When Hashem sees that we are makabal, the way we should be makabal yisurim, Hashem will answer us. Rabbi Bachna, let's go to a quick closing because I know Rabbi Bachna has to go. Rabbi Bachna, give us five more minutes. And we're going to wrap it up. Rabbi Bachner is uh, a for coming on tonight, first of all. I think tonight was an amazing program. We really, we covered a lot and we really get tremendous physics. And, you know, I'm sure maxed out our Zoom. There's really a lot more people trying to come on. Hopefully they'll be able to watch the show. But we got maxed out by five by 5,000 registrants. 
nobody else could have came on. But uh, Gershon Shreff coming on, we really covered practical things from my field from all angles. It was tremendous physics. Again, for anybody watching, every Sunday night at 10 o'clock on the Zoom share, we have, you know, different shirim on different topics. Please spread the word. Let everybody know about it. Next Sunday, July 25th, we're going to have Rob Gaffer Stroll talking about making Judaism real. It should be an unbelievable program. Everything is recorded. It'll be on MenachemBurnfield.com. If you have any questions, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. Rabbi Bachner, people are texting. You said in the beginning about reaching out to you. I don't know if you want to put it out there, if you have any way for somebody to contact you or if they have a personal issue. If that's an option, if you have an email or something. Do you know exactly? I think it's info at boynaolim.org. I'm always sure. Info. And do right when you write the email, they should say it's it's for Rabbi Bachner. Okay. Info, info at boynaolim.org. At and anybody who wants to listen to the share, this is share number 65. It's going to be on our phone line tomorrow, 848-777-GROW. Special thank you to our sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop, Ravi Anyanit Chazak, Mika Sober from CLO Live, Chayla Kaut from Shulazam from JCN, Coach Menachem, a quick closing, and then we'll give it to Shlomo Bachna to just leave up with a few words of Chizuk, because he has to go. I feel tonight is was really a topic of pretty, very, very close... To, to the Eibishter, to Hashem who runs the world and he's in charge. And like we said, all we do over here is a shtadlis. And like you said, we shouldn't, we shouldn't put any limits because it's not up to us anyways. So once we understand it's not us, it's Hashem. So it's, a bit, it's above the limits. And what do we know? We just continue doing what we need to do. And I'll give a bracha for everyone. For everyone. For those in need that Hashem should help, there should be light at the end of the tunnel, whatever it is, they should have physic to continue. Shkoyach. Just a few words of different chizik before you leave in a bracha. We all know when there's an election going on, there's a very famous sign that come, that's being shown around, your vote counts. What I want to sign off tonight is with a feeling that I've spoken about it many, many times. And I want to repeat it again, because I feel that people do not get it. If every person in Claudio would understand and believe that he really or she really can make a difference in another person's life, this world would be a lot better. Many people have set themselves guides, guidelines. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't get involved in that. I can't get involved in this. My point to tell you is, I have today a team of 75 people just responding to calls. You look at 90% of them, never had any shaykhs to anything in fertility. When I ask people, they call their babachta, what can I help you with? There's no such thing that a person cannot be helpful in any situation. Yes, in some areas more, in some areas less. But when it comes to point in fertility, if a person can understand, for instance, we do now a charity campaign. Now, this Zoom is not set up for any fundraising, but I will use it as an example. I have a budget. I don't even know what numbers are because but my budget constantly moves every month as the requests come in. If every person comes to understand how much he can have, how helpful he can be to help cover a couple, whether it's just an appointment or just to buy medication or for whatever, or for an IVF or whatever it is, you can really make a difference. How do you think Boyne made a difference in almost 10,000 children? 
only by people in Kalanisul that believe that they can make a difference. When hundreds of thousands of Frumyid will believe that they can make a difference, I wouldn't have to struggle. My time is much more worth for Kalanisul when I don't have to be busy with fundraising. I just sit, man the phones, talk to people, connect doctors, get openings in labs, which I am best at. I do fundraising because unfortunately, I can't move on if I can't pay. If everybody in Cloudless will understand how much even a little bit more, better, whatever you can do, be part of supporting, you don't even know how far that money is going to go. And I want to end up with one tiny little story. Many years ago, I got a call in Nesitro from a rough, actually, big a little. I never got his name right. And he explained to me, Shlema, I need a favor for you. Shlema, how do you know who I am? He says, I did my research. This is a very sensitive and a very confidential issue that can I have from you? I promise this, this discussion will never go out in public. Public, I don't even know who you are. He says, listen to me. I am a rav of a couple. The man is a Mossad agent. He has to be anonymous. Man does not exist in this world. Man is involved with major missions. His identity is not known. It's Mr. A or Mr. B, whatever. I think it was Mr. A, actually. But he has to go through a major treatment. Can you promise me that you can help me get this couple through it? It's going to be difficult, but can only be dealt through me, not through the couple, and only you. Can't have anybody else involved children down my spine. Who knows who's showing up tomorrow by my door? That's all I need, the Mossad behind me. I said, absolutely. Why not? I'm not going to go through detail. This was seven, eight months of very, very, it, it was very complicated. Many times we were only able to connect by notes. Now, I'm in America. He's in Israel. We had messages come pick up closed envelopes. It was it was a story. And this man had to go through a major surgery. I had to get him into a hospital in Israel. We had to do the surgery without even the doctor knowing who this man is. We had to pull together so many strings to get this done. And then when it was all over, I never met this person. I was waiting a month or two. I didn't make, I'd make up, I made up with this rough. Any results, please let me know. 10 months later, he calls me up. I was furious. He says, now I can call you. Mazel tov, a baby boy was born. I says, how in the world did you let me wait for 10 months? There's a Rabachna, I ask Mechila again from you, if you would know what sensitive position this person has in the Mossad, you wouldn't ask me why. But I did get a gift. I got a gift by the Bris, how this man walked in with his baby in his hands, and he cried out, I have that recording. Chills. I listened to that tape, Erevim Kippur. Everybody can make a difference. It's easier, sometimes it's harder. I took upon myself a job which no normal person would do. But I knew, and I understood, and I felt his pain. Everybody can do, and everybody should do. I'm looking out. For Claudius to be supporting me, I should be able to do what I can do best for Claudius. 
and may Hashem reward us all a curve to hit finally the Kol Shreich Hashem and Mashiach and Hayda Biyameni Uman and thank you all for joining. Uman. Unbelievable tonight. Again, tonight the charity event it was started today. It's going through tomorrow. Anybody that has extra money, mice money, any money, as you can hear from tonight's conversation, how vital it is, and it's just it's just being used mamish to, to build Yisrael and Rabbi Bachner's the Shleif. I always say a person that goes through a Torah and grows from the Torah is like the ultimate level. Rabbi Bachner, you're like on the epitome of that, you know. So it's a bit- I, I I I happen to disagree with you. I've seen much people do much a better job than I've done, but. And I disagree with you. And I uh, okay, okay, okay. So, we agree. Yes, we agree to disagree. That's right, Rabbi Bachner. You're a tzaddik. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Make hundreds of millions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.